Proverbs 23, I'm going to begin reading at verse 15. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reign shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth, and sell it not, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. Now we take the rest of the chapter as our text this morning, especially verse 26. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the text that we consider this morning is a loving admonition of a father to his son. A child marked with the sign of the covenant, which in the Old Testament was circumcision, and which now is the sign of baptism. The father, Solomon, is speaking in the name of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 8 is the key to understanding the entire book of Proverbs, because there wisdom is personified. Wisdom is but another name for our Lord Jesus Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom. 
So as we consider this text, a father's loving admonition, we must realize that while Solomon speaks from his own experience, he speaks from a particular viewpoint. As is the case with many of the Old Testament prophets, so Solomon recedes into the background while the person of divine wisdom speaks. I begin my introduction this way because it's important to understand the unique place of the book of Proverbs in Holy Scripture. If you approach this book without a correct understanding, all you will see is a collection of moral instructions given by one of the world's wise men. If we were to preach from the Proverbs that way, we would fail to portray the gospel. For this book also serves to reveal to us the God of our salvation in the face of Jesus Christ. So Christ speaks. Wisdom speaks. And that's how we must receive the instruction of this text this morning. For who else could claim your heart But he who formed it with his own hands, who purchased it with his own blood, who has softened it with the spirit of his love. So with that brief introduction, I call your attention to a father's loving admonition. Notice with me, first of all, the admonition, secondly, the address, and finally, the fruit. The admonition is, give me thine heart, followed by... Let thine eyes observe my way. His father addresses his child with a demand that's deeply spiritual. The heart of his son is his concern. If you have the chapter open before you, you see that same spiritual concern in verse 12. Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. You read it again in verse 15. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Again in verse 19. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. The father goes to the very center of his son's life, the core of his being. And that's our calling as fathers too. We must not be satisfied with mere outward conformity. A religion that's merely outward will make the torments of hell greater. My son... Give me thine heart. The heart is the center of our life from a spiritual, moral point of view. The heart is that from which flow all the issues of life. Proverbs 4, verse 23. The heart, therefore, is that which determines the direction of our whole life either in wisdom or in foolishness. 
So the Father's loving admonition seeks to penetrate far deeper than merely the outward behavior of his Son. It's important for every one of us to see this, not just our Son. You realize that when it comes to living our lives, it's much easier to live superficially to hide behind outward appearances. It's much easier to live by outward observances and outward rules and standards than it is looking to the deep demands of the Holy One and examining our own motives and heart actions. After all, we have many masks to fit the occasions when it comes to what people might be looking for from us. And there certainly have been more than enough homes devastated by the sinful behavior of fathers and mothers whose actions in the home have not matched the outward appearance in church or in their confession of being Christian. But the father addresses his son in the words of verse 26, not interested in the superficial. He doesn't say, be sure to keep up the appearance of being a Christian. He goes to the very center of life, says, give me your heart. Sometimes you parents tell your children to do this or that, and they outwardly go through the motions of obedience. But, and we were all children once, you can hear them mumbling under their breath. I see that sometimes even in catechism. And I'm sure our teachers see it in school too. The child or young person does what he's told to do, but his heart is not in it. His obedience is merely outward, and the angels in heaven weep. The godly parent does not look merely for the outward appearance of obedience. My son, give me thine heart. That's what you God-fearing parents expect of your children. They rejoice, children. Your parents rejoice when they see in you the giving of your heart out of love for God. This call for the heart means nothing less than that the one who addresses his son wants to see his son's life governed from within. All is included. With the heart follows the mind, the will, the affections, the desires, the emotions, even everything. And let thine eyes observe my way. That's a bold statement, isn't it, fathers? On the part of the one who made it? A bold statement. When you join in this 
admonition to your son? Scrutinize my ways, my son. Look at my life. I open it before you that you might examine. And the implication here is that he's calling his son to follow him. Do you speak that way to your sons, your children? Remember, as I said in my introduction, Solomon was speaking here to his son. Yes, Solomon, who sought not riches and honor, but the wisdom to judge God's people with equity, that Solomon speaks here. But you also realize that's not the only thing we are told about Solomon's life. Solomon must have experienced tremendous pain to be used by God in this way as an instrument of divine revelation. The pain of his own unworthiness must have overwhelmed his soul. Can you imagine it? Scrutinize my ways, my son. This is Solomon, whose fall for women had been so great, whose departure from God had been so vast, it had brought untold grief into his life and devastation to his family. How did he dare say to his son, let thine eyes observe my ways? But let me ask you, do you speak this way to your children? Do you say to them, look at me, consider my life, inspect, analyze my ways, learn from me, Or do we rather say, do what I say, not what I do? Solomon must have been stricken by the blow of the realization of his own sinfulness as he was inspired by the Spirit to give instruction to his son. What would be the result of such an evaluation on his son's part? What can we expect? If our religion is merely a matter of going to church, of doing the socially acceptable and respectable thing in the church setting, while our lives apart from church and church people are marked by drinking to excess and ignoring the Word of God, and devotion and a devotion to riches and labor and the pleasures of this life and tearing apart our spouse and ripping apart our fellow church members. What can we expect when our children examine our way? Because they do examine our way. Don't even have to tell them to do that. They do. For Solomon to give this instruction implies that we have reason to tell our son 
Let thine eyes observe my way. The implication is we want our sons to follow us on the pathway we walk. Is that true of you? Yes, Solomon must have taken these words upon his lips with a tremendous burden of the consciousness of his own sin and sinfulness. Do you see then why we must not fail to see the viewpoint from which Solomon speaks, namely, as a type of him who is the fulfillment and whose name is wisdom? If all we have here are the words of Solomon, we have no comfort here. No gospel whatsoever. All we could leave with is a consciousness of our own failures as parents. We must see the revelation of the God of our salvation as he comes to us in Christ and says, My son, give me thine heart. And let thine eyes observe my way. The content of this text is not the wisdom of man, not of Solomon. It's the word of God. So that although Solomon indeed speaks under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is God who speaks through Solomon and says, My son, give me thine heart. And his son, his only begotten son, heard that word for our sake. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ stood before his Father in our place and said, With my whole heart have I sought thee, O Lord, my heart is thine. I have been with thee from everlasting. I was daily thy delight, rejoicing ever before thee. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. I have scrutinized all thy ways. I have come to do thy will, O my God. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And so God speaks through his word, wisdom personified. He speaks to you and to me, demanding that we give him our heart. That's a serious demand. That's not something that you might just think about on your own slow time. Considering the pros and cons, God stands before us with his sovereign demand, My son, give me thine heart. The urgency of this divine command is seen in that which follows verse 26, and which is why I included verses 27 through 35 as part of the text that we considered this morning. The enemy presses upon us. It presses upon us 
with an appeal to our sinful flesh. In the rest of this chapter, the inspired writer focuses on especially two areas where the devil would attempt to entice us and draw us into his trap. The one area is his appeal to our sexual nature. Why is it necessary that we hear the divine call, give me thine heart, my son? Verse 27 gives the first reason. For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey and increaseth the transgressors among men. In our day, when we are surrounded by every perversion of sexuality ripped from the God-given sanctity of the marriage bond, in our day, when the enticements of the world and its pleasure madness surround us, and the portrayal of sex as pure pleasure given to satisfy our own lusts is presented as the normal way of life and fun, this warning is particularly applicable. The whorish woman, the one who is a stranger to Christ, is a deep ditch a narrow pit, which when a man falls into it, it is almost impossible to extract himself from it. Instead, he's likely to suffocate. But while the figure of the ditch puts the emphasis on the man who falls into it, the ditch being an inanimate object, The following verse portrays the strange woman as lying in wait as for her prey. She's ready to pounce upon the man who might be physically strong, but shows himself spiritually weak. She's ready to pounce to kill him. And then follows the other area where Satan would draw us into his trap. That's where he would engage our lack of self-control by enticing us to abuse what otherwise, when used in moderation, is a good gift of God. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eye? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. 
And then he portrays what happens when a person drinks to excess. That is, when he drinks just enough to let down his inhibitions, just enough to lose his spiritual faculties and and thus the spiritual protection against his sinful nature. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. So foolish will your actions be that you will even endanger your own life. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. So strong is the self-deception that follows the abuse of alcohol. Yes, there's urgency to the divine command, give me thine heart. Solomon, in addressing his son, addresses a young man in his youth. Scripture describes youth as a time of physical strength. It's a time when the young adult is seeking to make his or her own way in life, often thinking that they are fully capable of doing so on their own. But the Bible does not portray youth as a time of wisdom. You young adults must be realistic and face the reality that you don't have all the answers. And you have not yet gained that measure of wisdom that comes from experience in the application of the Word of God to the various trials and temptations of life. Give me thine heart is the Word of God to you. Young people and young adults can sometimes be enticed by the desire to dip their toes in the waters of the, of the world and worldliness. And especially when they can find peers that will go with them, they might even try to swim in those waters of ungodliness. There are many venues where a young adult can go to drink, and dance, and mix with those who know not Christ, and who therefore are looking for a young woman or a young man that they might take into their life and probably into their bed. For a Christian to try to swim in those waters reminds me of my high school and college years when I lived in a resort town right on Lake Michigan. One thing you learn when you live in close proximity to the big lake, and when you swim in that big lake, 
is the danger of what is called the undertow or the riptide. You have the same in the ocean, but Lake Michigan is the deadliest of the Great Lakes. That undertow claims many lives every year. People go swimming, and the strong currents pull them under the water and out to the lake. There's a way to escape those strong riptides, but it isn't easy. As the water is pulling you out, you have to swim parallel to the shore until you escape that current. And all the while you're swimming parallel to the shore, the water, the current is pulling you away from the safety of the shore out into deeper water. If you finally break free from the current, you have a long swim back to shore. If you're not a strong swimmer, or you forget to swim parallel to the shore until you break free from that current pulling you out to sea, you're likely to die by drowning. For that reason, when there's riptide or strong currents on the lake shore, there are red flag warnings posted telling people to stay out of the water. Would you, my son, my daughter, look to swim in the waters of ungodliness and deceive yourself into thinking that it is safe? Don't be foolish. My son, give me thine heart. Perhaps you ask, how is it possible that we give our hearts to God? Notice the address of verse 26, and particularly to whom this demand is addressed. The Lord does not address strangers with this demand. He addresses his children. In addition, he's very personal in his demand. He doesn't say, my children. He says, my son. Because to give your heart is a personal matter. As much as I would like to, I cannot give your heart to God. I cannot give the heart of even one of my children or one of my grandchildren to God. Young people, your parents cannot give your heart to God. The address comes to you personally. Give me your heart. Again, Solomon recedes into the background. As the mouthpiece of divine love, God through Christ is addressing his son. A son who is is one who is born of God. No one else is his son. 
when God through Christ says, my son, he's addressing his child who has been born again by the Spirit of God. Only those born from above are those addressed as his sons and daughters. You all bear the names of God's sons, Christians, insofar as you have a place in the church and bear the sign and seal of baptism and are brought up as sons. Don't misunderstand. Those outward things don't make you sons. There's only one thing that can make you a son, a daughter. That's the grace of God that gives you spiritual rebirth. In this text, Jehovah God comes and says to his adopted, reborn son, my son, whom I have chosen in Christ and regenerated, whom I have caused to be born from above, Give me your heart. And although by nature we would never give our hearts to Him, when God draws us in love to Himself, the result of that drawing power of God is that we give our hearts to Him. That's Psalm 27, verse 8, for example. When thou said, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Jesus said in John 6, verse 44, No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. By the wonder of divine grace, a principle of divine energy constrains the heart making it willing. And so David states in that psalm of praise, Psalm 110, verse 3, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Perhaps you would ask, why does God come to us with this word? Well, apart from the urgency of it, which we've already considered, this is the way in which God works. He doesn't treat us like blocks of wood. He doesn't treat us like chess pieces on the chessboard of history. He gives us to experience in a wonderful way his life and his love. That's why he works first by changing the heart, taking the stony heart out of our flesh and giving us a heart of flesh. And when he has changed the heart, he comes by his spirit and by his word and says powerfully, efficaciously, my son, give me thine heart. We can talk about using our spiritual and even physical gifts to God's glory. We can talk about giving him of our time, our money. He calls us to give us, give him our hearts, knowing that all the rest will follow. If we're not giving the rest, 
because we haven't given him our heart. When God through Christ says, my son, give me thine heart, the spirit applying that word to us, then we also see that never is the will so free than when it moves toward God. Conscious of our own unworthiness, we respond to Him. Because my heart is thy property, purchased by the precious blood of thine own dear Son, my elder brother by the election of grace, I give it to thee. Take it as it is. Make it what it's not. Keep it close to thee, Father. Never let it go. Exalt thyself in me. And what blessed fruit is enjoyed when we give our hearts to the Lord? There is no advantage, of course, for those who speak and think and act with an unsanctified heart. When it comes to the old heart of sin, it's corrupt. There's no difference between a minister and a murderer. Between a theologian and a thief. When it comes to the old heart of sin, it's corrupt. Then the judgment of God comes to expression, exposing what we are told in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Those who live without Christ die without hope. But the blessing of a new heart given to God, is both refreshing and beautiful. When a man with a new heart is stricken because of what he has seen in his own life and consequently grieves with that sorrow that leads to repentance, the very angels of God rejoice with praise. Blessed be thy work, O God, through Jesus Christ, another sinner is bowing in the dust. We heard him give his heart to thee. For we heard him cry, O God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Give me your heart. That isn't a one-time act. You must give that to him continually, all your life long. Because that new heart lives within an old and terribly sinful nature under the constant attack of the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. My son, give me thine heart. That demand comes to us today, tomorrow, every day of your life. And fathers, parents, if you would stand in Solomon's shoes, you love your sons and your daughters, you bring them this word of God. And then you heed this word yourself. 
Show them the way to the cross. Point them to the Savior. Listen to your children. Hear their cries, their troubles. Be aware of the temptations they face. Show them the blessedness of giving your heart to the Lord. Show them the joy of the gospel. Say to them, with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, let thine eyes observe my ways. See the Lord's work in me. In the marriage of your father and mother. In the life that we enjoy in the midst of the church. Give them to see the blessedness of living as members of God's family. Amen. Heavenly Father, apply thy word to our hearts with power by thy Holy Spirit. Sanctify us that we give our heart to thee continually. For Jesus' sake, amen.